Welcome to the Breakfast Leadership Show, where we interview global thought leaders on business, leadership, and life. Here's your host, keynote speaker, best-selling author, and chief burnout officer of the Breakfast Leadership Network, Michael Levitt. Welcome back. I've got Mike on the line. Hey, Mike, how are you? I am great, Michael. Thank you for having me, man. Oh, you know, I was on your show not too long ago. So thank you for uh, allowing me to be on that show and then looking forward to this conversation because I know one of the things you do, and we'll, we'll dive into it in a minute, is you know, you're, you're big on systems. And I'm, yeah. a, I'm a routine systems type of person, not only in, in work life, but just in my personal life as well, because it just makes my life easier. So I want to share a little bit about you and then we'll dive into the conversation. Yeah, sure. So um, I like to. So I'm an entrepreneur. That's how I identify myself. I've I've started a couple of businesses and and um, and sold them. Uh, but I think I think my entrepreneurial career actually began on a curb outside of my house when I was four years old. And at that time, we lived across the street from a construction company, and I would sit on the curb in the afternoons in the summer some days and I would watch the guys bring back their trucks and their equipment and I was just just so I don't know in love with everything about it like the noise and the smoke and the smell and the, and the guys and I I thought to myself you know as a 4-year-old could which is not you know that advanced but I thought to myself you know you know, how do you do something like that? Right. And then I packed that away, Michael, and, and did what you do. You know, you go to school, you play sports and, you know, all the way through um, college, I was sort of just focused on, you know, how do I get a job? Um, and I, and I, I, I started driving a garbage truck between my junior and senior year in college. And that started to shift me a little bit, right? It's kind of not, it didn't take me to like, hey, I want to own these things, but it took me to like, I want to be around them. It sort of reminded me of that curb thing. And, um, and when I graduated, I got a job in a, uh, for a very large, with a very large uh, uh, waste management company. And, and I thought, and I was doing really well and I was moving around. I started as a management trainee and I ended up as a divisional vice president and in less than five years, then um, you know, I got the I got the rug sort of pulled out from underneath me when I got fired one day. It was actually on uh, St. Patrick's Day, 1992, and I thought I was maybe going to run this company one day. And instead, my boss came up and he he told me that they didn't need my services anymore. And I, yeah, I was really lost at that time. But it was, um, you know, it turned out to be a, a great thing because a couple of months later, I ran into a person who happened to be a farmer, believe it or not. And his name was Butch. And Butch, we started talking about what it would be like to maybe start a business together. Neither one of us had any experience or anything. But it's, I like to think of it as like Butch was sort of that farmer that came along and he germinated that long dormant seed that had been planted on me when I was four years old out in front of my parents' house. And 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 after that, we were kind of off to the races. That's well, a, a great reminder because I think many of us, and some maybe not, but I think many of us have been in that situation where we're in an organization, we think things are going great, and we we have a long plan ahead of us, and then we get that 
meeting and the next thing you know they're handing us bankers boxes and we're yeah yeah, boxing right. our stuff up if if they allow you to do that i you know i've had some situations where um i was like no nope, you gotta leave we'll ship it to you and like okay well that's what happened and, to me i had it yeah yeah that's and uh including the dried up cup of coffee which i found was a little odd I'm like really he didn't even want to rinse it out <laughs> it was it was obviously all dried up but it was like i looked at him like i and of course i threw the mug away i'm like i'm not even gonna bother oh. but and, and and what that really that was their mug anyway it wasn't mine but <laughs> thanks for <laughs> thanks for sending me an old cup of coffee uh but it, it's it's earth shattering you know and it, it yeah is if you're in an organization you're like you know what nothing making me happy just to be out of here then that's one thing but when you're like okay this is going along i've had a ton of success and then all of a sudden there's a shift and i remember the first time that i was uh dehired using a jack welch term uh from an organization it was with a fortune 500 organization and they did a 20 percent cut across the board so it wasn't picking on me Mm. Um, certainly felt that way, but you know, I was sure. part of a, a big group of people that you know, were given the same type of messaging you know, that day and understood it, but it was still quite a shock because that never happened to me before at that yeah, point. Um, you know, after you know, a couple of times after that, now it's like, oh, okay, well, I know the routine here. All right, this is what I got to do. Reach out to my network. Uh, let's, yeah, I suppose like anything, you can get a little bit used to how these things go, right? But yeah, yeah, it's never pleasant though. And and right. I will say this: being on both sides of the fence, I, I I stand firmly in this that it's harder to let somebody go than it is to be let go. That's you know, if you've never had the options for both, then you may not agree with me. But you know, being on the other side of it and letting somebody go is not a pleasant experience because you feel personally responsible in a way of disrupting somebody's life. And that's, that's yeah. not a pleasant thing for any of us. So, so you have this meeting with this farmer and you're like, all right, let's launch a business. Neither one of us have really had this experience before, but why not? Let, you know, let's, let's be pioneers and figure this out. So, you know, obviously that, you know, was, was the seeds to plant you to, you know, the, all the work that you've done since then. So, right. you know, what were some of the highlights from that and, you know, some things that, you know, carried forward and all the things you've been doing? Well, for me, it was in the, the initial highlight was at a time in my life where I had zero, basically zero confidence, you know, coming off of this, of this termination. I did go back, found a job almost right away for another company, I thought, okay, like rebound, you know, it's like a rebound relationship. And, and I thought, okay, this is going to be great. Right. And I got there and there was a guy that, that I ended up working for, uh, his name was Don and, uh, and Don was not a pleasant person to work with. Uh, so unpleasant that within 30 days I was, I, I, I just couldn't go there anymore. I was like physically ill on the way to work, driving to work for any of you who've had that experience. And I just couldn't do it. And that made me feel like a failure again, like tw like twice. I get fired and then I can't keep a job for more than a month. So I think the, the number one thing that Butch brought to me besides this germination thing that I talked about was some confidence. Like somebody who for the first time, I mean, besides my wife, somebody who for the first time in a couple of months really said something to me that made me think like I had value again. And that 
that went a long way. Like I, I just needed that little something, that little belief system that I was that I was challenged with, and um, it was fun because once he did that, we we sort of gathered around his kitchen table and 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 you know just started spitballing ideas of what we could do. Uh, and, and, and we drank some Miller High Lifes while, while we were doing it, which made it seem like much better, you know, idea and much easier than, than it probably turned out to be. But, um, just that, just like, you know, finding someone who gave me a little bit of confidence was really what I needed, Michael, to say, yeah, I can, if he believes in me, I believe in me and I can do this. And that's, that, that was fantastic to get, to get us started. Yeah, definitely having a champion by your side is helpful to remind you that yes, you are capable. Because you know, losing a job and then going into a, a toxic work environment, which unfortunately there's way too many of those around, can really make you second guess on your ability to do anything, which is just really, really bad language that you're using on yourself it's the programming that we have we are our own worst judge we beat ourselves up better than anybody else could whether it was mike tyson or anybody else we we do a better job of really hitting ourselves and we need to turn the dial and say no you know what i was successful i am successful i'm able to do things look at what i did at that waste management company and rose through the ranks as fast as I did. And, and yeah, I, I picked the wrong organization because the environment wasn't right for me. It's not, you know, you, it, it was that environment wasn't right for you. And simple conversations and having somebody stand by your side and say, no, this isn't you. This is just external things. You are still the same awesome person you've always been. You're continuing to grow. You're continuing to learn. And, you know, like, you know, John Maxwell wrote a book, sometimes you win, sometimes you learn. Um, and yeah. that's a, a great example of it. It's like every experience that I've had, positive, negative, or indifferent, is a learning opportunity for me to grow, uh, both personally and professionally. And again, you, you find those champions in your life that, you know, well, they're not going to blow sunshine up your backside, but they're going to encourage you and tell you things that are true and remind you, yes, this is the reality of things. Yes, you are yeah. a great person. You're a great employee. You're a great entrepreneur and you're going to do great things. Having those people in your life are going to help you, you know, take those next steps to be successful no matter what you do. Let me, let me jump on two things you said there. Cause I think that you're, you're, I think you're right. The first, you know, this champion you talked about, I, I think it's very important no matter where you are in your life, whether you're an entrepreneur or whether you're just, you know, working in a cubicle, whatever, whatever you, wherever you are, it's really important to have people around you who uh, uh, build your confidence because the world and the grind and just normal everyday life is sort of designed to beat up your confidence, to erode it, to take it away. And without that person or persons in your life who, as you say, they're not blowing sunshine. They're just giving you um, confidence. They're giving you. They're optimistic. You know, they're they're helping you see the bright side when all you see is the dark side. That's super important. Um, and then the other thing you said um, with with I call it the stories you tell yourself. You know, we 
we're really, really good at self-sabotage. We're really, really good at telling ourselves stories that aren't true, but we choose to believe them. And that's very dangerous, right? You, you don't want to put thoughts into your mind or stories into your mind that aren't yours, that you don't own, that, you don't, that, that aren't the stories you want to be telling about yourself. And um, it's so easy to do it. Um, but it's something that you really, you really need to protect the stories that you tell yourself because the stories you tell yourself become who you are. It's important. It's a great segue into you know, the stories about your book. So let's, let's dive into your book. I always ask authors this, why in the world would you give up so much of your time of your life to write a book? Because it's time consuming. It's not uh, a weekend adventure for many. Uh, so, you know, right. what's the book about and, 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 you know, what prompted you to really you know, want to get this out into the wild? Yeah, thank you. So the book is called Ownership, and the subtitle is How Getting Selfish Got Me Unstuck. And the book is really about uh, my belief that the entrepreneurial journey is about going big. And even though I position it that way, the book is really relevant to anyone who is a leader, because leaders, uh, all leaders, uh, sort of go down this tend to go down on this journey. And, you know, the journey has four sort of stages to it. And the first stage is the dream stage of the journey. And whether you're, you know, an executive or whether you are a leader of some kind or whether you're an entrepreneur, you get into whatever you get into with this sort of dream that it's going to be fantastic. It's going to be great. And you need that to get started because, you know, 95% of the people will never have that dream and act on that dream. So you need that, but but a lot of times that dream um, uh, starts to fade away pretty quickly when all the demands of actually doing what you're doing uh, come to be realized. The things that you didn't think about or didn't want to think about when you were only thinking about dreaming. And I call that the grind stage. And the grind stage is that stage where as we were talking about where you know you are not you do not have a system in place to protect your confidence you don't have a system in place to um, you know actually um, keep you moving forward and as a result you get stuck in today you get stuck in the present and you make yourself a lot of times like I did I made myself sort of the hero of my story and I valued myself uh, on the the number of things I could do, Michael, not the number of things that I wanted to do or the number of things that were most important. And the third stage, if you get too deep into the grind, is what I call the break stage. And the break stage is when you just fall into this deep valley. I call it the valley of uncertainty in the book. And that's a place where leaders and entrepreneurs go when they just don't know where to go. <laughs> they don't have they don't see a future anymore. They only see uh uh uh, the same as what they have now continuing. And they don't want that. It hurts. And, you know, it's a place where they go to like, just blame some, you know, look for someone to blame or look for uh, uh, a, a way to go back or look, you know, they're just searching. And then, and then the fourth stage, which is the cool stage is the breakthrough stage. That's when you, that's when you start to, to figure out that, oh, wait a minute, you know, um, I had this dream it turned into a grind, ended up in a break. But when I look at it, it's really a byproduct. This break is a byproduct of a system that I created. I didn't, maybe I didn't intentionally create it, but I created it and it led me exactly where I designed it to lead me, which is right here in this valley of uncertainty. 
So if I can design a system that does that and it works so effectively, surely I can design a system that gets me out of this valley and gets me you know, back on the track to making breakthroughs and going big with my life and my business and whatever, my relationships. And so that's what the book is about. And it's told through my stories and I use mine because they're the only ones I have. But as you're reading it, you know, you'll be replacing my stories with your stories, the ones that resonate with you uh, as you as you go through the journey. And it's really a book of hope, uh, you know, at the end that, that you know, we, you can, you get into this to go big. Let's, there's a lot of forces working against you on that. Sometimes they'll get the best of you, but let's move past that and let's keep, keep you know, let, let's design a way to keep us out of the valley as much as possible and always focused on the breakthroughs that we can make. There's one thing that really jumped out at me in all of that and all those those four stages or steps is the fact that you recognize that I have systems that have got me to this point. Mm -hmm. Why can't I create a system that can get me through this particular situation? And that's, it reminds me of what years and years ago, I worked for a division of Daimler-Benz and it was the first company that I'd ever worked for. And it was in this asset management division that they had. And we as consultants would go into organizations and help these organizations get a better understanding of, of their assets. Because a lot of companies, small, medium, and large, don't do the best job of keeping track of all of their equipment, their assets, mm-hmm. and everything like that. Cost, involved, replacement, things like that. Because if you get really granular in those things, what can happen is you can have a better understanding of when you might need to replace some things in your inventory or in your fleet or whatnot. And if you're on top of it, it's more preventative than reactive. And prevention is cheaper than reactive. Uh, Mm. I can pretty much identify thousands of examples of that, Uh, but we'll be here all day if I went through all of those. But the one thing this organization did at the end of every project, what we would do is the team that was working on this project would gather together And we'd also bring in some consultants from other projects at the time, and we'd have basically a debrief, but we went through, okay, what went well? What did we learn from this project? Any new discoveries, anything that we think might work out in other projects that we're working on or or whatnot? What didn't? And we'd have everybody provide feedback as to what worked well, what didn't, what are some ideas that may have helped to make this project go a little bit smoother. And by doing that over a period of time, what we found was we were able to get more efficient with the projects that we were working on, which meant that we could actually take on more project work without bringing on additional people. And we became more efficient at that. We grew the business and the division by doing that just by hey, what worked? Hmm. And it was amazing to me at how many companies I've worked for that had never done that exercise. So any company that I had any type of input in or was leading, that was one of the things that I implemented was a true debrief meeting. And I'd bring in as many people as I could and say, okay, what worked? What didn't? Okay, Bill, you weren't on this project, but if you were in this situation, do you see anything that you think may have helped us to be better in something? And everyone would provide input and we all got better. And that was a system that I had inputted in and they're like, wow, no one's ever done that before. And I was like, to me, it seems like common sense, but 
and I, I always like to have a joke, you know, there's a big, big focus on artificial intelligence and AI and stuff like that. I, I think we should probably work on artificial common sense first before we get to the intelligence, because there's a lack of common sense in, in some areas. And I'm going to stop there because that could go into all kinds of bad directions. But so, um, so but again, I'm, I'm, I want to highlight that. Yeah. I'm curious, as you were talking there, did you debrief your wins as well as your losses, let's say? Definitely. Definitely. And actually okay. another organization that didn't celebrate a win. And I've talked about this on my show before. I was working for a nonprofit organization that had a furniture bank and a food bank for lower income individuals. And this organization every week would rent a rental truck. And I'm not going to mention names of those companies, but we all know who they are. And unfortunately, in many cases, those trucks tend to break down quite a bit. So here we are with a truck full of food that needs to be transported to a food bank area, and it's dead on the side of the road. So Mm. we have to get a replacement truck, and they're not quick with that. It's not like calling AAA, and they just show up with a tow truck or a new truck and say, here you go. You know, the logistics were pretty problematic. So over time, we started working with our different funders and like, look, you know, we want to see if we can buy our own truck. And we ended up finding a used one, which was in a completely different part of the country. But one of our directors was going down to that area because they had family and friends. They're going to vacation. So we were able to configure it in such a way where they would go down. We'd fly them down. We paid for their transportation. And one of them drove the truck back to um, our operations. By buying that one truck, that increased our ability to deliver and pick up food for the food bank by a hundred percent increase. And then, you know, years down the road, I don't work for that organization anymore, but I see they have a handful of furniture trucks and food trucks. So that was a, a spark. Okay. And it, in the meeting that we had celebrate, you know, basically announced, so, yep, we, the truck is here. We're starting to use it. It was our CEO basically spent two minutes on it and then moved on. And I looked at the director who was leading that thing and she looked dejected. And after the meeting, I gathered a couple other directors. I said, come on, let's go out to lunch. So we went to lunch and we made it a celebration lunch. It's like, we're going to celebrate this. This is a huge deal. How many meals are we providing to families? This was not like a, well, we got a truck. No, it's this is a gigantic deal. And of right. course, that was a spark for all the other things. So to answer your question, most organizations that I was a part of, we made sure, no, you need to celebrate these things and look at them of what went well. What can we learn from this win? And championship teams in sports, they should do that as well. What did we do well? Just like when they go, okay, we, we blew this play and okay, we missed this coverage or you know, maybe we should have shifted differently depending on what sport you're playing. But the ones that win, it's like, what did we do to win? And those are the teams. I'll pick on UCLA back in the um, John Wooden days. Right. And they were winning titles after titles. Okay, maybe the talent wasn't the great across um, all the college teams. But just because you're the most talented doesn't mean you're going to win. You can look at the New York Yankees in the early 90s. You know, they were spending tons of money and it was a team full of all-stars and they weren't winning anything. They bring in a manager and they bring in a couple key utility players 
that quite frankly on any other team probably wouldn't be hall of fame players and all of a sudden they started winning a lot mm-hmm. why because they had the right mix in place and they go and they got a system and it just helped to have Derek Jeter too but right, right. Uh, it, but it still it allowed them to win that was the system you know the Detroit Red Wings won you know cups and were in the playoffs for 25 straight years why they had a system any anybody that the Patriots, you can go in sports, you can look in business as well, businesses that are thriving, individuals that are thriving. How are they doing it? It's not luck. It's preparation. It's systems. Right. It's, right. It's so, so yeah, to answer your question, whenever I can in organizations I've been a part of, definitely you celebrate those wins. Good. Yeah. That's been a challenge for me, but it's definitely necessary. I, I, I believe. Got to look at both. Exactly. So another thing you do as well is you've got coaching program as well. So why don't you share a little bit about that? Yeah. So I, uh, I coach high-level entrepreneurs um, from 10 to 250 million in sales. And you know what I, what I help them with is basically what, um, what, what, what the journey that I took people through in the, in the book, Michael. It's really you know, helping them to uh, imagine and get clear about the futures they actually want and what they need to be doing in order to um, you know, uh, reach that future and and tap that tap that potential and get the life that they won't say they want. Um, it's amazing that you know these <clears throat> the people that I'm working with are are successful by by most measures, by most outside measures, and even some inside measures. But there's something that they just you know they just have trouble getting past, you know, they want something that they can't figure out how to get. And my, my job and my role working with them is to, first of all, get, you know, let's get really clear about what you actually want, because it's one thing to say it. And it's another thing that, you know, believe it. And once we believe it, how can we, how can we work together to make sure that uh, it happens? How can we identify what's in the way uh, of it happening right now and get rid of that? And how can we identify what's needed uh, in order for it to happen and put that into place. It's critically important. And yeah, I agree. A lot of people, they think they know what they want, but when they actually start peeling back the layers, they realize actually there's something else that they want. And, and your program and your book obviously helps bring light to that and yeah. and gets people focused. And, and again, going back to what we talked about a, a moment ago, helps you design some systems in order to make that happen. And that's as simplistic as it sounds, just like, you know, the work that I do with organizations and people on burnout, it, it's simple to end your burnout, but it's really hard if you don't have a system in place and follow through with it and, and get crystal clear as to, you know, what's the outcome you want. And sometimes people can't, they can't even, describe what's the outcome that they want. And and on top of that too, you have to have a willingness to change. I think people can be in pain, but not be, it's not pain, so painful that they're not, you know, that they're willing to change. And it's hard to change somebody who's not willing to change, right? So it, it takes a lot of work as a coach, you know, doing what you do or what I do to actually cut through that. Like, are you actually willing to, to change? Because if you're not, there's no, you know, there's probably not, going to be a big benefit to us working together. But if you are, that's a whole different story. Yeah. That's when, that's when the magic can happen. So yeah, Mike, Mike, I've loved this conversation. Where can people find out more about you and all this awesome work you do? 
Well, best place is my website, which is my name, Mike Malatesta, M-A-L-A-T-E-S-T-A.com. My book, my coaching, my podcast, information about me, it's all there. Go there. And uh, if you want to connect, yeah, hit me up. Well, thank you. And I'll definitely have all the information in the show notes. So again, Mike, thank you so much uh, for your time today. Thanks again for having me on your show as well and continued success in everything you do. Thank you. Thanks for having me on your wonderful show, Michael. Thanks for listening to The Breakfast Leadership Show, part of the Breakfast Leadership Network. Visit breakfastleadership.com for tips on empowering your business and your life.